Can I just say first up, I love the fact that the women are gathering for a conference and we're going to encounter God, we're going to have worship, and the guys are going for breakfast. <laughs> yeah, I, just, I just love that. Well, we're going to eat together. <laughs> That's really, really cool. Come, Morena, ko Simon Tokuingoa, ko Oeraka Tamonga, ko River Thames, <laughs> to Awa, ko Greenland Christian Centre, to Farakarakia. As Pete said, uh, my name's Simon. I'm from Auckland at uh, Greenland Christian Centre, one of the churches up there. Um, born in London, but now living in Sandringham. Has anybody ever been to Sandringham in Auckland before? I think we have the best Indian food in all of New Zealand in Sandringham. Come and visit. Come and enjoy the kai there. Um, it's great to be with you. I'm sorry my family couldn't be with us this weekend, but it's great to look around. Can I just say, when I, when I come and be with you, and I was here a few weeks ago, uh, Anzac weekend, but many of you had decided to have a break that, that Sunday and to go away. And so I came along with my son, Daniel. He was in a fencing competition. Fencing, I mean not agricultural fencing, but fencing with an epe. He was at Wellington High School on Taranaki Street, and we were here for the weekend. And we thought we'd come along to King's on a Sunday morning. And most of you were not here. <laughs> but you're here this morning, so it's great to see you, and it's great to be uh, with you. And it feels like when... I step into this place, whether it's to Manua, is that right? Or, or here, it's like coming home. It's like coming home. Being among you is like being at home. So many dear friends, people that we've known for years, and it's great to see new faces here. Isn't God's growing you, isn't it? Isn't it great? God's doing a new thing among you. If you have a Bible, could you turn to 2 Chronicles and chapter 6? If you don't have a Bible with you, some of the verses will be up on the screen. While you're doing that, I just... Um, this is my family. Daniel is on the right-hand side. He's 15. He's nearly taller than me. It's scary. Lydia's there in the middle. She's our 17-year-old. Um, she's got her restricted test coming up soon. Pray for me, please. Uh, and Katie there. Uh, she's 13. Uh, Zanna, my wife, and I've kind of got the selfie. I'm kind of in the corner. And... Um, so, yeah, just thought, I'd, my pride and joy, just thought I'd show you my family. It's good being, church is family, isn't it? It's not a business, not an organization, uh, it's family. And um, we love you guys. We love you guys. Okay, 2 Chronicles, chapter 6, verse 41. But before we get there, though, I just got a quick question for you. Who knows what this building is? This is going to be a little bit interactive this morning. Shout it out. The Burj Khalifa. It's the tallest building in the world. At least when I looked it up, it was. It may have been superseded by now. Um, it's the tallest building in the world. It stands at 829 meters high. Took over five years to build. One billion US dollars to build. And I haven't counted them, but apparently there are 24,348 windows. Has anybody been there? Has anybody been up? Sally's been there. You've been there? Up there? I guess there's an amazing view from the top. Be better than the Sky Tower. Pardon? Oh, it's in Dubai. In Dubai. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's in Auckland. <laughs> uh, it's an amazing building, but we could ask the question, why was it built? Well, it was probably built 
to um, diversify the economy. It's probably built to bring inward investment there. There's a hotel there and apartments, and there's broadcasting, observation deck, there are restaurants, those kind of things. But this morning, we're going to take a look at another great structure, the temple that King Solomon built 3,000 years ago. And Solomon said this, Send me cedar, pine, and juniper logs from Lebanon, because the temple I must build, the temple I build must be large and magnificent. And when Solomon's temple was finished, it was just that. It was magnificent with wood and gold and silver and marble and onyx and precious stones. And I was reading this. Did you know the temple, the inside was overlaid with 21,000 kilograms of gold? Can you imagine that amount of... I look at my wedding ring. I was like, oh, that's gold. 21,000 kilograms of gold overlaid the inside of the temple. It was magnificent. It was glorious. But again, we could, we could ask the question, why was it built? Why, why was the Burj Khalifa built? Well, economic reasons. Why did Solomon build the temple? Well, here in 2 Chronicles 6.41, temple construction is complete. And Solomon, the king of Israel, begins to pray. And we can see the reason why Solomon built the temple. He prays this in verse 41. Now arise, O Lord God, and come to your resting place. May your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your saints rejoice in your goodness. Why did Solomon build the temple? It wasn't a business decision. He wanted to build a house for God. You know, it wasn't Solomon who had the original idea to build the temple. It was his father, David. David was not happy because while David was living in a palace, God was living in a tent. And we'll come on and look at that in a minute. David in a palace, palatial, God in a tent. So David wanted to build a house for God. But it wasn't David who built the temple. It was Solomon. And not only that, David wanted to build a place where, where God could encounter his people, where his people could encounter God. And David loved the presence of God. Can I ask you, do you love the presence of God? Yeah, yeah. David, in Psalm 16, he writes, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Can I ask you, in the worship time, with a sense, God is here. Is there joy welling up in your heart? That God is here. God is good. He is among his people, which we're going to look at. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And now Solomon was king, and he, he prays this prayer. Now arise, O Lord God, and come to your resting place. And it's a really interesting phrase, resting place. Every summer we go camping. Does anybody here like camping? We, we pack our, our trailer and our car, and it's like Tetris. You know, Tetris, we've got to fit everything in. Does it go that way? Can you get all the suitcases in? All the camping stuff into the back of the car. And we go off camping. We love camping by the beach. Um, this year, last year, was a Hopi beach in the Bay of Plenty. So you go off camping, and it's lovely. There are sunsets, surf, sand. But I've got to say, after doing that for about 10 days, there's nothing like going home. Especially when your air mattress has gone down night after night after night, and you're like, where's the hole? I want to I sleep on the air mattress, not just flat every night. There's nothing like coming home, because home is this kind of place of rest and contentment. And, and Solomon prays, come to your resting place. And the literal translation in the Hebrew language is this. 
Now come, O Lord God, and settle down and remain in your resting place. This wasn't about a short-term vacation for God in this new temple. It was about come and live, come and reside, come and settle down in the temple. That's what Solomon was after. And immediately his prayer stopped. Solomon's prayer, his invitation stopped. God arrives very dramatically. Immediately his prayer stops. God comes. So the verses after are here on the screen. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, I wonder if we can say this all together. He is good. His love endures forever. Should we say it again? He is good. His love endures forever. And then in verse 6, the priests took their positions, as did the Levites, with the Lord's musical instruments, which King David had made for praising the Lord. And opposite the Levites, the priests blew their trumpets, and all the Israelites were standing. Commentators agree that God's immediate arrival showed that he affirmed Solomon's work. He was pleased with what Solomon had done. It's the difference between what theologians call God's omnipresence and God's manifest presence. God's omnipresence is that God is everywhere all the time, whether we notice him or not, he is omnipresent. But this is God's manifest presence. He's particularly present. He's noticeably present. Have you ever thought what it would have been there to stand, like to stand there, and there's fire on on your forehead? You know, you can feel it on your face, on your forehead. The fire of the Lord. What did it smell like? What, What could you see as the fire was above the temple? God is manifestly present. He's particularly present. Not just omnipresent everywhere, but particularly present. And what do the people do? Well, on the one hand, in verse 3, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks. You know, sometimes God comes and you're just before him, kneeling before holy, holy God. Can I just say, extroverts. Any extroverts here? Silent reverence is appropriate before the Lord of glory. It's when it's time to be quiet and be silent before the Lord of glory, because God is here. And on the other hand, we see people rejoicing, we see bursts of praise and shouts and trumpet blasts, and can I say, any introverts here? Demonstrative passion is appropriate before the Lord of glory. Because some people say, I'm an introvert, I'm an extrovert, I do this, I do that. Well, these things are appropriate before God. Silent reverence but also bursts of praise and and passion before him because it's about him. It's not about us. Solomon built a magnificent temple where the people could encounter God and God could rest and remain among his people. That's why the temple was built. And you know, God has always desired relationship with his people. You know, God doesn't need relationship. He lives in perfect relationship with himself. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son, he loves Jesus, and he shows him all he does. And the Son loves the Father and glorifies him. And with the Holy Spirit, there is perfect unity, the perfect Godhead, all self-sufficient. They don't need relationship, they have perfect relationship. But they choose relationship with us. The, the, the love of God flows from the Godhead to us. We were created for relationship with God. What, it's what it means to be holy. It means to be set apart for relationship with God. To enjoy his relationship that he has with himself. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are serving one another, loving one another, glorifying one another, and we participate in that relationship. And you can hear God's heart in Ezekiel 37 verse 27. He says this, My dwelling place will be with them I will be their God and they will be my people. And you see this all the way from Genesis through Revelation, all through history, we we see this refrain, I will be their God and they will be my people. Did you know that the Garden of Eden was the dwelling place of God? It was a temple. Have you ever thought that the Garden of Eden was was a temple? It it may have not had wood or, or precious stones or gold or silver, But it was a temple. It's where God was particularly present. So in Genesis 3.8, we read that the omnipresent, all-powerful creator God is doing what? He's walking in the cool of the day in the garden. God with his people, with Adam and Eve. He's walking, he's resting, he's being with his people. The Garden of Eden was a temple. Later... As the Hebrew people left slavery in Egypt, do you know God was passionate to be with his people? Moses had met God up on Mount Sinai. Do you remember that? He got the the tablets and they'd met up there. But God didn't want to stay on the mountain. God wanted to be down with the people. And so he gives instructions for Moses to build a tabernacle so God can dwell with his people, be with his people, be among his people. And so in Exodus 25, the Lord gives instructions for a special tent. Then let them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. So as God's people travel out of Egypt and into the wilderness, right at the center of their community is a mobile temple. God's particular manifest presence among his people. And the people camped around the presence of God. To the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. God was there and the people were camped around the presence of God. And in the center of the camp, Moses would speak face to face with God. God's presence was everything to his people. One time Moses pleads with God in Exodus 33 verse 15. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What distinguishes us from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? The presence of God, which we'll come on and look at in a minute. It it was God's presence that made all the difference. It was God's presence that comforted them. It was God's presence that gave them direction. It was God's presence that won battles for them. 
Do you know, as we were worshiping this morning, we were winning battles. When we praise the Lord, God is at work, and he is fighting on our behalf. His presence wins battles. So God is present with his people in the garden. God is present with his people by the tabernacle and Solomon's temple. But again and again through history, we see that God's people turn away from from God. And eventually, God's presence departs Solomon's temple. He, He leaves as invading armies come into the land. But then we see a new temple entering history. John the Apostle writes this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. And John uses words that are packed with meaning. Who, who's John talking about at this point? Easy question. Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And, and the little literal translation of this word dwelling, do you know anyone know? Tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. Jesus is the new temple, the presence of God. I love the message translation. It puts it like this. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God was manifestly present. Not not behind a 10 centimeter thick curtain, not in a cloud or in the fire, but God was a man. He was particularly present. He was manifestly present. God was accessible. I was thinking about this. You you could walk with God. You could laugh with God. You could question God. You could be helped by God. You, you You could eat food cooked by God, as the disciples did when Jesus was with them. What a what a privilege. Jesus is the ultimate tabernacle. Jesus is the ultimate temple. Emmanuel, that's what we sing at Christmas, isn't it? Emmanuel, God with us. The one who flung stars into space, the eternal sun, then slept under those same stars. That's the wonder of the incarnation. God became flesh, moved into the neighborhood. And you know, for three years, the disciples camped with Jesus. They tabernacled with the tabernacle. They camped with God. People's lives were transformed. The sick were healed. So good to see that this morning, wasn't it? Just just being obedient to God. Somebody, right wrist, orange. Lady, wow, Sally. Healed wrist. Wow, you know. But but it's because Jesus is here. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. But um, the sick were healed. Blind eyes were opened. Thousands were fed. Demons fled. Why? Because the tabernacle, the particular manifest presence of God, was on the earth. And you know, every day with Jesus for the disciples was an adventure. Imagine, you just wake up with Jesus. It's like, what's he going to do today? Where's he going to go? What are we going to do? It was an adventure with Jesus. He was their whole lives. But you know, one day Jesus says this. You can read the conversation in John 13 through John 16. Jesus says this to his disciples, I'm going away. Imagine what they were thinking at this point. I'm going away, I'll only be with you a little longer. And where I am going, you cannot follow. And what was Jesus talking about? 
when he said, I'm going away. The cross. His death, his resurrection, his ascension. He said, I'm going away. I'm only going to be with you a little longer. And where I'm going, you cannot follow. You can imagine Peter and the other disciples. What do you mean you're going? We've left everything to follow you. These last three years have been a blast. And you say you're going? Where are you going? We'll come with you. And Jesus said, no, you can't come with me. And just when they're stunned and distraught and perplexed, Jesus carries on. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You can imagine Peter, James, and John. They're like, my heart is troubled. You say, you're going. We're with you. We left everything. The fishing boats, the nets, everything. We came to follow you. And now you say, you're going? Do not let your hearts be troubled. I will come back. I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Again, who is Jesus talking about? The Holy Spirit, he tells them, I'll send another just like me, the paraclete, that's the word in the Greek. He'll come alongside you. He'll be with you. He'll be a helper. He'll lead you into truth. I'll send one just like me. Not just one temple, but actually the Holy Spirit will come. And after 40 days, the resurrection, he ascends to heaven to his Father's right hand in glory. Again, the disciples are alone. You read, you know, you look through the end of the Gospels and into Acts, it seems like they're bereft. Our Saviour has gone. He, he's, he's ascended. They're cowering in a little room, upstairs room. What, where are we going? What are we doing? The, 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 the temple is gone. And, and then this in Acts 2. Do you know in the, in the traditional church calendar, today is Pentecost? It's Pentecost today, if you kind of follow that calendar. Well, we're going to read about Pentecost. The Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Is this okay so far? Okay, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly the sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Again, can we imagine the scene? What we read of is fire and glory and God's presence. And as I sat with this for a while, I said, isn't this very similar to 2 Chronicles 7? You look at the temple, there's fire and glory and God's presence. And now in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of the church, there is fire and glory and God's presence. And this is what I reckon Peter said at this point, and it's not in Scripture. I'm just imagining. I'm just thinking through, you know, Peter was often the first to speak. So what did he say at this point? He probably said, he's back! He said he would come back. And and this was their experience. Jesus is here. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Jesus is back! Peter, I reckon, is pretty excited at this point. The commentator William Hendrickson writes, when the Spirit is poured out, Christ truly returns. When the Spirit is poured out upon the church, Christ truly returns. The coming of the Spirit meant it was just like having Jesus with them. And these uneducated, ordinary guys, they astound the Jewish rabbis. They'd crushed one miracle-working preacher only to find him being multiplied into loads of others. 
We can't put this thing down, the Roman authorities said. There's just miracles and changed lives and transformation. Why? Because the Spirit had been poured out. Jesus was back. And that's why the book of Acts looks very similar to the Gospels. Because it's about what Jesus continues to do through his church, through his body on the earth, though he has ascended to his Father at the right hand. And suddenly, there's a new temple full of God's presence, full of Jesus. So we see through history, God dwelling in the garden, in the tabernacle, in the temple, in human flesh, but now, the church. I want to preach about the church. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 16, I will build my church. We'll try that one again. I will build my church. The church is the new temple. The church is the place where now God enjoys relationship with his people, where he rests, where he remains. And so the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he writes this, Do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? Do you not know? Ten times through this letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul has this phrase, do you not know? It's his mechanism for reminding. And for many of us here, this is just a reminder. Because when, when you have a worship time, which is like a picture of your message, <laughs> it's just a reminder because you guys just love the presence of God and expect the presence of God and God is moving among us and he's alive and doing something. But he wants to remind them. And he wants to remind the Corinthians. Now, if you know the Corinthians... Man, there's spiritual gifts going on all over the place and God's manifest presence is there. But still he wants to say, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? He's reminding them of their identity. You guys love to talk about identity, who we are in Christ. Well, your identity is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a place where God dwells, a place where God rests, a, God where, a place where God is happy to be, wants to be among his people, the dwelling place of God. Do you not know, King's Church, that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives among you? where he is particularly present, where he's manifestly present. In fact, such was the manifest presence of God in the book of Acts that it says the early church, no one else dared join them. You know, people looked on at the church and like, whoa, what a company of people. I, 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 can we join them? I don't think we can join them. Look, God is here. Yet many did, and many were added to their number. The early church was an outpost of heaven on earth. Awesome, passionate, hospitable, generous, truth-telling, healing. Full of the powerful presence of God. They were a temple of the Spirit while the old temple was dead and empty down the road because God was doing a new thing. And you know, this was always God's plan. 500 years before, Ezra wanted to rebuild Solomon's temple. And Haggai, the prophet, he says this, the glory of this latter house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. What was Haggai talking about when he prophesied 500 years before? Well, somehow by the Spirit, he was looking forward to Jesus and his church. 
the church of Jesus Christ would be more glorious than Solomon's temple. King's church is more glorious than 21,000 kilograms of gold. My glorious church. More powerful, more beautiful, more honoring. Haggai was prophesying years ahead about the church. This latter house would be more glorious than the former house. So don't rebuild this old stone temple because it's about the church. And Peter moves on from being distraught and perplexed and stunned and he gets a revelation of the church. I I kind of want to put the question out there. Have you seen the church? I just want to describe it for for a little while. The church. And Peter, Peter gets a revelation of the church. He writes about it. In 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Can you see the temple imagery here? Spiritual sacrifices, priesthood, spiritual house, better translated temple of the spirit. And these verses describe what ha- uh, every time the church gathers, this is what This is what happens. You know, whether it's a Sunday like this, whether it's down at Tamanua or in the gym, doesn't really matter. It's about the people being together. Whether it's a Sunday or a prayer meeting like tonight or a connect group or alpha or a youth meeting or an elders meeting or a trustees meeting, you know, we gather. On a Sunday, you know, we don't gather to a band. I hope we know that, don't we? We don't. Good though they are, and great though the worship is, we don't gather to a band. We don't gather to the memory of a dead saviour. We don't gather to a book. As you come to him, as you come to Jesus, the stone, he's the cornerstone, he's the first stone, we all line up with him. He's a stone, he's dependable and faithful. We stand on him. And not only that, he's alive and doing something. Isn't it interesting, this imagery, living stone. He's alive, he's doing something. He's building you together, King's Church. He's building you together, young and old, male and female, nation and nation, to be a temple in which God lives by his spirit. A place of rest, a place where God lives. Uh, It is breathtaking. We gather to a risen king who's about... A great work, the greatest construction project in all of history. I mean, leave the Burj Khalifa behind. Jesus is building his church. Have you seen the church? Have you seen a beautiful temple of living stones? Each one of us unique. Each one of us hand-picked. Each one of us chosen to be part of this glorious church. He says, and I don't know you all, but I know you're here. He'll, I'll have a Blanche. I'll have a Tine. I'll have a Deli. I'll have a Joe Haddo. I know Joe. Have a, I'll have a Trudy. I'll have a Sean. I'll, I'll have a Tash. I'll have a Lonnie. I'll have a Charles. I'll have an Albie. I'll have a Lizanne. I'll have a Pete and Julie. I'm building you together. 
into a temple. It's my work. You might be sitting here this morning and thinking, well, I chose to be here. Well, Jesus says, you did choose to be here, but I chose you to be part of the greatest construction project in all of history. I'm building my church together. A precious temple of living stones, beautiful in my sight. The apple of my eye. My church, that's your identity. I'm building my church. And so there are huge implications for us. I was thinking about this. If people went to meet with God by going to the tabernacle, that's what they did around Moses' time, or they went to meet with God by going to the temple, or or, or they went to meet with God by going to see Jesus. You know, so many people just wanted to see Jesus. Where's Jesus? I want to meet with God. Where do people go now to meet with God in a new temple? Here. Here. God's new temple. People come to encounter the living God in, in Whitby. And my, my geography is not great. Titahi Bay and Lower Hut and Upper Hut. And where else? Kandala. And what other places are we, are we based in? Are we living in? We want to see groups in and churches planted in and site plants. Kapiti. Kapiti Coast. Tawa. <laughs> John Stott once said, we are his home on the earth. And so, you know, on a Sunday, and I can see this very clearly, I was going to exhort you with this, but you can teach me, you can show me. On a Sunday, don't slip into a mindset that we're just coming to sing a song. Don't slip into a mindset that we're just coming to hear a message or meet with friends or have a drink together. All those things are good. But when we gather, God is here by his spirit. God is here. We need to lift our expectations from, our, from sometimes current experience to what we see in Scripture. What we see in Scripture. God is here. And sometimes you sense God is here right now. You, do you, you know, we gather. Do, do you feel sometimes, I just feel God's love right now? You, you hear his voice You taste and see that the Lord is good. And we join with saints throughout history who have encountered God. You know Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 6? He sees the Lord high and lifted up. And you get this idea that he's kind of just undone in God's presence. Do you ever have those moments in God's presence where you're just like, I'm just undone because God is here. Or the old British hymn writer called John Wesley. You know John Wesley? He said at one point, he said, I feel my heart strangely warmed. It's like a good old British, I feel my heart strangely warmed. It's like, well, he was encountering God at that point. Smith Wigglesworth, Brother Yoon, George Muller, these people encountered God. Sometimes the band plays a particular song and God seems to just own that song, especially when you sing about the character of God. He loves to own those kind of songs. You feel, God is here right now. When there's physical healing, you just know God is here. He's doing something. Somebody's preaching and we're cut to the heart. Or you have communion together and you focus on the cross. And it's like, God is here. And there's wonder and awe in God's presence. So let's get practical. What are our expectations as we gather? And by the way, it's not like God comes when the kids go out. It's like we're family together and God is here encountering adults and kids. And, and, you know, God is a family. 
Father and Son and Holy Spirit. What are our expectations as we gather? Well, the Holy Spirit is here and speaking. And that's why I already said to Pete, wouldn't it be great to give space at the end just to, just to hear together what God is saying? And there's already people saying there's not enough time at the beginning, so we'll do that later on. What's God saying to us? Space for the prophetic. I just, I just want to just put a picture out there of what it looks like. In Acts chapter 13, we have a stunning picture of God's new temple. We'll look at it briefly. Verses 1 to 4. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. We don't have time to unpack everything in these verses. Just a few things. Well, firstly, who's at Antioch? Barnabas was from Cyprus. Simeon, called Niger, was a black African. Lucius was from Cyrene, which is modern-day Libya. Manian was a friend of Herod Antipas, and he probably grew up in the royal household. And Saul came from Tarsus, which is modern-day Turkey. And he was a Jew and a Roman citizen who could speak Greek and Hebrew. This is a temple of living stones. People from Libya and Turkey and from Israel and Romans and Jews and there's diverse gifting. And I look around this room and I see another Antioch church. I see different nations. I see Nigerians and I see English people and I see Samoans and I see South Africans. And what other nations am I missing here? You... Uganda. How do you say Ugandan? Ugandans. Ugandans. And, and what, who else? Are there other nations here? People from the Netherlands. Jan and Marianne, of course. Oh, and from Germany and Scotland. Indeed. You're making me do all the work. You should be shouting, shout it out, come down. I was like, you have a word of knowledge ministry, do you? You can just pick out all the nations in the room. You just shout them out. Wales. Did somebody say Wales? Wales. The Philippines. America. Of course, McKenna, sorry. Cambodia. Zimbabwe. Nations that God is gathering living stones together. And not only that, here there are teachers and prophets, diverse gifting. Well, come on, let's be authentic together. What is, what is the, some of the gifting that is sitting here right now? If you can't shout out a gift about yourself, the person next to you, the gift that you, you know they have. There are teachers and prophets. Prophecy. Word of knowledge, evangelist, encouragers, prayer, administration, Sally, encouragement, pastors, diverse 
gifting, diverse nations being built together, Antioch, and they're giving their time over to worshipping and fasting. I don't have too much longer to go, so it's all right, guys. It's okay. And the Holy Spirit speaks right into the center of this church. And because the Holy Spirit speaks, Barnabas and Saul are sent off on their first missionary journey. And did you know the gospel is still advancing today because they heard the Holy Spirit and Barnabas and Saul left. They were sent by the Holy Spirit. And you may still have a paper Bible. Anybody still have a paper Bible? And the map will be there saying Paul's first missionary journey. And the gospel came to New Zealand as well because they were obedient to the Holy Spirit. Set apart for me. Did you know that this church, King's Church, was birthed because the Holy Spirit said? It wasn't because someone had a good idea. Oh, let's have a church. (laughs) What should we do today? We'll have a church. No, the Holy Spirit said, and King's Church was birthed. My family and I live in Auckland because the Holy Spirit said. We moved all the way from the UK to Auckland because the Holy Spirit said. What's our strategy? Our strategy is let's listen to God. That's the strategy. We are a temple where God speaks. It is such a blessing to be among you in a community where God speaks and we take seriously what God says. Maybe you're hearing God's voice this morning. We want to give space for prophecy. So God is speaking. Secondly, I kind of end with this. I believe that God is here to comfort. God is love. Our Father in heaven is loving us right now. And in Romans 5, 5, it's the final scripture. God pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Do you know it's the Holy Spirit who makes the truth of God's love real? So we know about God's love. Of course he loves us. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Yeah, that's the truth. But it's the Holy Spirit who makes that truth real in our hearts. God pours out his love into our hearts. And you go, he loves me. I feel his love. I believe that there are those here this morning where God particularly, the Father wants to wrap his arms around and love and bring comfort and healing. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. I believe that God wants to encounter people this morning with his comforting love. He wants to meet with us. Okay, let me summarize. We are the new dynamic temple, full of living stones being built together. Yeah, Yeah, I'll say that again. We are the new dynamic temple full of living stones being built together. We are God's resting place, his home on the earth. And when we gather, Jesus is present. It's not about being down in Tamanoa or in the gym. It's God's people together. And he delights in us, the beautiful church of Jesus Christ. And for some of us, God wants to speak to us this morning. For some of us, he wants to come and comfort us this morning. He wants to encounter us. And if the Holy Spirit is here, what might happen? Don't we know, King's Church, that we ourselves are God's temple and that the Holy Spirit lives among us? So um, what should we do? Should we stand together? I'm going to pray. Sam... All good. I'm going to hand over to Pete in a moment. Let's just...
let's just recognize that God is here mm. and speaking. And, and let's just discern what he wants to do. Father, we thank you. You're a good father. Yeah. We, we say we love you. And we thank you, Jesus. You are here right now by the Holy Spirit. And we want to we pray, would you manifest yourself all the more among us? We say we're hungry for you. We thank you that you're here, but we want more. <laughs> We want more of you. And we, we count it a privilege that you said you will make your home with us. And we're a place where people can encounter God. And you're in the business of changing lives. And we want to glorify you. Let your glory come, Lord. We thank you we're a temple of living stones, handpicked and chosen by you. You said, I'm building my church. And Father, I want to pray that you would encounter us this morning. Touch lives. I pray for the young children. Pray for the kids among us that you would encounter them this morning. Thank you, you've already been doing that. And for us adults, you would come and move among us now. And let's just take a moment to just focus on him. Just for a moment, just to let the band play.